Why, hello there. Um, how are you? Good. Good. Is this recording right now? Yeah, it is. It's on the it's on the app. Okay. Well, I'll give you the juice later. Oh, nice. Yeah, we'll save that for after the recording. I'll um, spill all the tea. Oh, I love it. I love the tea. Also, can I just say that's one of my favorite um, phrases that's happened in the last, like, however many years? Spill the tea? Like, yeah, this, I, this, like, spilling of the tea. I love it. It really is one of my favorite phrases. It's entirely new to me. Um, and the funny thing is, like, I learned new lingo when I was um, teaching an upper level ELL class for mostly Spanish speakers. And I was like, okay, what would be a fun icebreaker? And I figured it would be fun for me to like educate them on current lingo, which meant I had to do a bunch of Googling like an old person who's out of touch about what the current lingo is. Oh my gosh. I love it. You had to Google like an old person. Yeah. Makes me feel better about myself. Modern slang. What do the kids say these days? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I find myself having to do that. Um, Unfortunately, I have to be careful because my first thought is like, oh, go to Urban Dictionary. But you never, you don't want to go to Urban Dictionary if you're not ready to see something outrageous. Because sometimes you just get whatever this blase thing, but other times you're like, oh, wow, I never wanted that image. Yeah, wasn't emotionally prepared for that one. Right. And unfortunately, I've done that probably far too many times. But I also figure that it's like one of the one of the quickest ways to like find something out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can find out some really disturbing things on Urban Dictionary. So, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, you know, that it's like that um, it's like that bad place in um, not Hogwarts, but what's like the city they all go to to buy their books. Oh, Diagon Alley. Yeah, it's like the 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 seedy underworld of Diagon Alley, which was, you know, really shamefully represented, I think, in Harry Potter is like the bad place. But we don't know their stories. Right. Yeah. Um, we well, want to read some scripture. <laughs> right. Yeah. You like that well, segue? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't like have things to not say about it, but that's all right. It's yeah. a weird thing to talk about. It is, but is it really? Is it a weird thing to talk about, or is it just like this is what we do? Yeah. Well, that's that's maybe that's our tagline. Down with the ship. <laughs> a weird thing to talk this about. Is what... right. <laughs> um, all right. I'm just gonna read the shortest of the scriptures. Um and uh because I was so so I use the the I always use the the lectionary um from Vanderbilt's website and you can actually mm-hmm. like link to them on Google Calendar, like it'll actually calendar and so i have that Mm -hmm. and then i also have the narrative lectionary which i never use um Mm -hmm. so we're just picking the shortest of all the passages today which is psalm 128 six verses um 
happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in God's ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy and it shall go well with you. Your spouse will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the human be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And that's it. I did change the the, the pronouns there. I did. I saw what you did. Blessed is the yeah. human. That's great. Yeah, I, like I changed. I have also been like, obviously, you know, my Shira kick. Right. And, right. and so, of course, I have been reading all of these like different different graphic novels like not graphic novels but pieces of them by different illustrators lately and so many of them so many of these great new artists have um, a lot of like non-binary characters and queer characters and so I was actually just reading something this morning and so I'm still in that framework of like gender neutral pronouns at the moment but I always think you should use gender neutral pronouns for God right that's just I've always felt like that. I, uh, so. I think you should use it 95% of the time. But I don't mind calling Godmother, you know, right. or Father, or all that kind of stuff, like, with an asterisk. But probably the right. default should be non-gendered. Yeah, I, I mean, I use, I still say the, the Lord's Prayer using Father, even though I'm like, I could say parent, I could say something different, but I always right. choose to stick with our Father because it's how it was taught to me. And, sure. and it is, you know, it's like my friend Marcus Hong, who is this, he's in, he's in Louisville. And he's great. He's a musician. And he's also the head of theological education at Louisville for like the students. He does all their field site stuff. And he and I once had this great conversation and I guess I never really had the terms for the understood the lingo for it, but he always explains it as it's not about being um, inclusive, but it's about being expansive. That's what the language should be expansive. And so the idea of inclusive also means that there might be people who are still excluded. There's always the other side. So, so yeah, I'm cool with calling godmother or father or parent um although in my statement of faith because ministers are required to like have one at the ready Mm. i definitely spend like everybody has one thing in their statement of faith that they like drive home Mm -hmm. and i have always been on this kick with god should be genderless um and so, or God doesn't have one gender, like God's not a boy's name, right, right, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. And so I, I definitely like hammer that home in my statement of faith. And I'm shocked that I don't have more people call me on, like not call me on it, but like ask about it when, you know, I'm getting examined for something or whatever, <laughs> they're reading my statements. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed that more people don't have something to say about that. They're always like, okay, cool. I'm like, really? Come on. It- Ask me something controversial. <laughs> it does represent uh, or indicate an interesting dynamic in that everyone, like the traditional language is still the dominant language. Like God is still by default father and Jesus is son. And right. We use that, but nobody really cares about it. But no one cares enough about it to really make meaningful changes. You know? Right. 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 
Well, I think some people care, but the problem is the people that tend to actually care that are willing to make the changes tend to be the people who are, you know, someone who's, who's the other. So women, queer people, people of color, like, right. it's, you know, it's the people that I think if more, honestly, if more straight white men would start doing it and start practicing it, mm-hmm. it would pick up more because that's who people are still looking towards in the pews. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes I have to like, sometimes I really have to harp on it here, but not, not too much. It's only every now and then. Mm-hmm. For the most part, people here are like, that's cool. Call God, whatever. <laughs> God is you know? a ferret. Or, yeah, what? God is a what? God a is ferret? A ferret? God is a ferret. That's a good one. God is, I mean, God could be a ferret. Who knows? God could look like a ferret. Yeah, they're all. On, a, on any given day. They're all metaphors and analogies at the end of the day. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I like to, uh, I like to always try to switch that up. And I, you know, I was talking months and months and months and months ago, I was talking to some of my session members and they were asking about, you know, how do you do it language wise when it just seems like it doesn't make sense when you need to use a pronoun. And, and I instruct them, just make the sentence read as God or, you know, just make the sentence read as God. So if it's like, you know, instead of he says, just God said, or, you know, it might seem weird, but read the sentence then as though it just says God. And, and I've had a few of them who practice it. Like when we read scripture at our meetings beforehand mm-hmm. during devotional, that's when they'll practice it is, is during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really interesting and fruitful conversation that comes from it because they're intentionally trying to expand their minds of what God could be or what God is. Right. Yeah. I think um, when you um, when you really start doing it, like when you really start, and if you're a white guy, if you're like, you know, straight, cishet, white male, like myself, uh, part of it is like really learning to develop empathy so that when you read these texts, it stands out to you, you know? Right. Um, because, you know, easily the first 20 years of my life, hearing God as he was just no emotional reaction whatsoever. Um, Right. And then, you know, in the last 14 years of my life, learning to really listen to people and and to hear how these words connote, um, then I, you know, your ears start to tune to it and you become sensitive, sensitive to it as well. Um, And, and then I think, you know, developing that um, will help you like, not make it such a big deal to you, you know, then it doesn't become awkward anymore to call things, say God said, instead of he said, you know, I think the mm-hmm. awkwardness is all about like the, the conditioning that we've had rather than something that's just inherently there. Right. One of the talking about like pronouns and gender and things like that. One of the greatest gifts anyone ever gave me was my queer Bible commentary. It's, I don't have that. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I'm gonna have to send you a copy. It is so good. It is. And I mean, okay, it's so good. It's not like the greatest commentary ever, but it is a good commentary. And it really does give you a different lens on certain parts of the Bible. And, Mm -hmm. and it's not just about gender or sexuality, but it's also about the way we perceive each other and the way we perceive characters in the Bible. Um, And so it's actually, I use it pretty much for every sermon. I sort of have my go-tos when I write a sermon or when I'm writing curriculum or something. 
And it's like, I do my women's Bible commentary. I do my queer Bible commentary. And then I have um, a series of books on like that are justice and social or social justice oriented um, towards scripture and um, that I'll always consult just not because I'm trying to use those as like immediate reference points for whatever I'm writing, but to just get my mind in the frame set of remembering not to read the Bible in this like white heteronormative way that I've been taught to read it. That like, that's how I was conditioned. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I can try to start to see things in a new light because even I still like, you know, I still read things in the way that I was taught to read them. And that's not Mm -hmm. anybody's fault. Like I'm not blaming any of the pastors that taught me, but because that's what they knew and they were doing their best, but Um, but it's up to me to sort of recondition myself. And that's, those are some of the things that I, like, I always look at the scripture in the queer Bible commentary to see if it's there and if there's something on it, it's super helpful. I'll have to get you a copy of that. You'll like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see it. So, um, Psalm 128, right? 128. Is that it? 128. Yeah. Would you read that again? <laughs> Happy is we everyone who fears the good tangent. But, yeah. Say what? Uh, nothing. I was just droning off. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a good tangent. I tell me how you feel about this because I've always I I always wonder about this. It used to not bother me, but now it sort of bothers me. You know, when you're reading the when you're reading scripture. And it says things like happy is the happier those who fear the Lord um, and that, you know, you should approach God with fear and trembling and and using this word fear. And it really isn't an appropriate translation. I mean, I guess it is for some people, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, really, the translation is more like in awe and in wonder of God, not fear as we know it. And so I'm, I'm always frustrated when I realize this, when I read this, because I know that it's not supposed to be a fearful thing. Like God is not to be quote unquote feared as though somebody who might harm you would be. But I, I sort of wonder why we haven't changed that in our scriptures. Like, why have we not corrected that language problem? Like we, it's not, yeah. it's not that hard because most people don't know that. And you have to explain it over and over and over. And I just wonder why we haven't changed that yet. Right. Um, I think some of it is the way in which um, and I'm going to go out on them here, but I think this is true. Um, I think <laughs> vocabulary, like when they use words, the, the breadth and depth of meaning of those words is very flexible, much more than right. perhaps in English or even in Greek. Um, so that like, I think um, that word's meaning shifts and changes over time and over the course of the maturity of the individual. Because like when you're a kid, I, I absolutely think at least the Hebrew people thought it's really important for them to be afraid of God. Right. Um, like I would, I would make that claim that the Hebrew people thought that kids should be afraid of God the way that we might fear the wrath of a parent. Right. Uh, and I, and that I get. Right. And that over time you learn you adapt those feelings into something more uh, mature and better, like awe and reverence, especially related to God. Um, And, you know, there's that kind of 
mysterious, like great and fascinating mystery, the Rudolph Otto Mysterium Tremendum at Fascinance sense that we, that fear somehow still covers, but not adequately. And so, you know, I don't know, like, I think it's just a difficult translation thing um, because for the Hebrew people, I think they felt like that word had a lot of flexibility to it and our language just doesn't permit that. Right. And I get that. And, but I just wonder on our end, why don't we change it to be, why don't we change it to be more adaptable for our times instead of saying fear? Like, yes, we know that's what the Hebrew people thought, but I just wonder if it would be, if it would make it more accessible to people nowadays, if instead of it saying fear, if it said in all. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think they should change it. <clears throat> Are you just saying that to agree with me? Because if you are, that's okay. No, I think that probably <laughs> it's it's better on the whole because of the difficulties of language for it to to be the word that it's probably meant to be as opposed to, uh, you know, how it should function for children reading. The right. Bible. <laughs> uh, right. I, would, I would totally uh, support that translation. Right. But then if we didn't read it as fear, we would not have Kierkegaard's one of his greatest works of all time. <laughs> I did love that. I did love that work in in college. It was one of awe, my favorites. Awe and trembling, wonder and trembling. I know it doesn't. It's not the same. Fear and trembling is so much better. Yeah, yeah. No, it really yeah. is such a great term. It pops. It, it does. Pops. It, that's exactly what it does. It pops. You see how I, I really put that lingo to use. You did. Good job. So damn hip. You put that Urban Dictionary knowledge to use, man. <laughs> look at us being such hip 30 something year olds right i mean we're we're still pretty hip we're youngish no i totally am uh well okay i mean we're youngish and different people you know different strokes for different folks i've never been cool my entire life um that's just not been my thing <laughs> uh and as a kid, it bothered me. But, you know, as a 34-year-old, I'm just like, okay, let's own this. Uh, I know, right? As an adult, you're like, oh, screw it. Just, I like being we I like being the weird kid. I'm cool with it. Yeah. I, I will never try to say, like, it pops or that, you know, he's thirsty or whatever. Like, really actually try to use that language to impress someone. I will always right. use it ironically. <laughs> That's great. I would like to, I just want to hear you use it now. I just want you to keep using it over and over. Maybe one time we should do a podcast where we just only speak in like teenage lingo. <laughs> do you think we could do that? I think it would end up being very dated. I think I would want <laughs> saying like, psych. <laughs> Somebody, one of my youth called me out the other day because I said the Facebook. Ooh, yep. And, and they were go. like, the Facebook it. and I was like yeah the Facebook and and they were they said um one we don't use that anymore and number two really <laughs> because I remember <laughs> when Facebook first came out it was it was the facebook.com yeah it was the Facebook yeah mm -hmm. and for the longest time you could still type that in and it would still take you to take you to Facebook but now you do it and it doesn't work You're like look here little punk I was there when it began I was right. there when you I'm had like, to have a my, college student. I was there when it was only for college students, jerk. Yeah. No. My college didn't have a Facebook account. So we had our own 
ACU version of Facebook that somebody like put together somehow. And so we did that for like six months until they realized that was a terrible idea. In case oh, that's got- hilarious. Mm-hmm. We had one. I don't know. Maybe we were like in the first year or so, first or second year. Um, I forget how we got one because I remember thinking like, why would my college get one? But I was part of the state system of Georgia and my best friend from high school who was going to Georgia state in Atlanta. And I was out at West Georgia and she like called me up and was like, Shelly, you have to get on the Facebook. And (laughs) which I find really funny now because she hasn't been on it for like 10 years. Mm. (laughs) Like she has like sworn off social media. She's just now on Twitter. Um, And we, you know, she's on Instagram a little bit, but like, yeah, she's the one that got me onto it. Now I'm like, oh, I wish I could give you up. Mm-hmm. But, but then, but it is, but it is a good way to keep up with people. Mm-hmm. So, and I just recently discovered my dad's on Facebook. Oh. Which was really awkward because I kept getting this thing saying you should friend this person. And I was like, is that my dad? <laughs> and so I was on the phone with him a few weeks ago and I said, do you have a Facebook account? And he's like, oh yeah, I don't really use it, but I have it. And I said, oh, well, should we like be Facebook friends then? Mm-hmm. And we went around and around for like 20 minutes deciding like, should we be Facebook friends or not? Like, are we crossing boundaries? Like, is that a parent child boundary? We just shouldn't cross. Like we should keep that. And he was like, well, I'm never on it. And I mean, I assume you don't hide things for me, so I don't really care. And I said, no, like my rule of thumb is like, I'm not going to put anything up that I wouldn't want my own parents to see. So mm, yeah. whatever. So I, so we like accepted each other's friend requests. So every now and then it's like, you know, Oh, say hi to Bill Donaldson. And I'm like, oh, no, that's weird. <laughs> that's really weird. So I just don't, I just don't, I try not, I try to just pretend it's not happening. Yeah. Hmm. But at least my mom's not on Facebook. That would be weird. My parents are both on Facebook, but I don't really think I do anything. I mean, every once in a while, I'll put out like some melodramatic thing about how the world is terrible. But well, we all need reminders of that sometimes. If we if if watching the news isn't enough, right? (laughs) If if realizing that Donald Trump is in charge isn't enough for us, well. Yeah. Um, so curiously, what have you been reading lately? You always read big books. You read smart books. What have you been reading? Um, okay. So pretty obscure like stuff. One thing I would recommend to everybody, um, you know, uh, Frederick Beekner, right? You're Presbyterian. Yeah, of course. Um, so Beekner uh, has some fiction that he wrote. Uh, and the one that I read the other day was called Brendan. It's about St. Brendan. Oh, uh, St. Brendan, like, um, like Irish St. Brendan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, um, and that was great. Um, I highly recommend that one. Um, but I, I like monastics. I think you have to have a certain sympathy for monastic practices, um, and yeah, and I can see do. that with you. Um, I, a lot of people just like, you know, the minute you start talking about hair shirts or like extended fasting, 
they're just like, nope, want none out of it, you know, and that's fine. (laughs) So I think you have to have a little bit of like sympathy and understanding about like why people would do any of this. Um, But if you've got that, I think that book would be really meaningful and it's fiction too. So it's oh, nice engaging. And then um, the other stuff is I, uh, I've just completed revising a conference paper I presented like four years ago um, for publication and, and it's on um, the idea of primitivism, which broadly speaking, just attests to like the normative value people attribute to like the origins of something. Um, So broadly speaking, most Christians are probably primitivists in the sense that they think that like Jesus and the witness to Jesus in the new Testament kind of sets the standard for what Christianity is supposed to be. And then everything after that kind of stands or falls in comparison to that. Um, And uh, there's different versions of that. My tradition has like a very odd sort of version where uh, back in the 19th century, like the, the big thing we would say is we restored the new Testament. um, And uh, we've done so because we're acapella and, um, you know, based our, ecclesial structure on elders and deacons and that sort of thing so we call that patternism anyways it's all really obscure i've been reading a lot about that but um probably the broader connection is that kierkegaard uh, who you and i both love um in his later works he starts going off and off and off about the christianity of the new testament and new testament christianity mm-hmm. that's that's the standard and the whole church and all of christendom sucks because it doesn't compare yeah it's gone off the rail and so i know i i love how like just definitive he is about his beliefs oh yeah yeah i mean it provides him with a great kind of way of calling out some some pretty ridiculous nonsense and that's what primitivism usually does um Mm -hmm. but he means something very particular by that and so um and i i've not seen anybody like write anything about that probably because they don't come from primitivist traditions and don't kind of recognize what that language is doing. So I've been reading a lot of Kierkegaard and a lot of stuff on primitivism, like from lots of different perspectives. There's some great stuff in like sociology of religion. Um, Mircea Eliad, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but he's like a, a big figure in it. And he has this stuff about sacred time um, that gets at a lot of the heart of it. Anyways, that's what I'm reading. What are you reading? Um, well, I'm reading a couple of things right now. I finished um, Raising White Kids with my parents oh. here at the church. I love Jennifer Harvey. Oh, gosh. Jennifer Harvey's so great. I learned so much from her. Um, and then now, and then I read, what did I read after that? I read something by like Barbara Brown Taylor or one of those people because I do these book groups with my with some of my older ladies who just, you know, the book itself almost is irrelevant. Oh no. Anne Lamott. That's what we read this last time. We read Anne Lamott's notes on hope um, because like, it really is just a starting point for them to have great conversation. And it's one of my favorite parts of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now we're reading, so now I'm reading a couple of books. Um, I did just finish another graphic novel. Um, and I just am about to order a new one, which I'm really excited about. Um, but 
right now I'm reading with these same ladies, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, a story of Unlearning and Relearning God by Sarah Bessie, who I knew nothing about. Um, but somebody recommended this to me because they're like, oh, if you're doing Anne Lamont and people like that, she's somebody you should read. And it's been a good book. It's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it sort of falls in that genre of like Nadia Boltzweber, Rachel Held Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's talk about how I found God, like through all these revelatory, simple things. Um, right. Which I think is very, it's needed. That that sort of writing is needed. I'm, it, it, I'm not saying it's not. Um, I don't know that I would have read this otherwise, but it is good. And it, she actually talks a lot about um, the First Nations people because she's in British Columbia. Okay. And I really appreciate how she talks about, you know, some of the things that she does in terms of her friends who are part of First Nations and I think I'm saying, I think they, they call it First Nations. Um, and and just how that plays into their Christianity and that sort of thing. And I think thinking about like Christianity in the United States, how it has really whitewashed Native American um, histories and traditionals, traditions and, and spirituality. But, um, but she really embraces it in this. And I really, I really like it. And then I also picked up in between... Um, I have, I started reading, do you ever read Roxanne Gay? No. Oh my gosh, she's great. She has this collection of essays. She teaches at Purdue. I think she still teaches in the creative writing program in Purdue for the graduate students. She's an amazing writer. She writes for the New York Times sometimes, but um, she has this book called Bad Feminist. Mm -hmm. And she's a queer woman. Um and so she really sort of tackles a lot of issues in these essays, um, but they're really interesting. They're really good. I actually, it's, and it's nice because you can just like read an essay and put it down and it's not one of those like leave you on a cliffhanger kind of things. Okay. Um, but they're really good. I needed something like this just in my own personal life because next up, I think I've got the ABCs of diversity mm-hmm. um, and then a few other, I've got a whole collection of books on like race and racism like the well-intending white person that i am to to read through and um and things like that so i really i have this book algorithms of oppression that i'm really excited to read um so yeah so that's what i'm working on right now i'm hoping to finish up with those in the next few weeks so i can move on but that's what i'm reading i don't it's funny, a bunch of my church people always thought that all I read were like church books. Mm-hmm. And and they just seem shocked when I tell them that like, no, I actually love like historical fiction and I love science fiction and I read comic books. And like, they just, they all really, they all really seem so shocked at that whenever they're like, <laughs> you don't just sit around and read like Thomas Aquinas and John Calvin all day. And I'm like, God, no, like you don't pay me enough for that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's always that, interesting. We've talked about this before, but what people think like theological education is or the preaching life and, you know, just what you're right. reading, like anyone would sit around and read Thomas Aquinas or John Calvin all day. Like, right. I don't know. I'm, there's probably some weirdos out there, but they're weirdos. Oh, I'm sure there are. Like, 
you get an education there's a lot of like really interesting stuff but usually probably what you read is secondary literature like stuff about them that makes new and interesting points about what they're saying right i mean you know as a as a presbyterian who went to a presbyterian seminary you know you would assume that we would be reading more of the like Karl Barth's dogmatics and John Calvin's institute, you know, institutes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I picked those up until my senior year because uh, yeah, everything I read about them w- was secondary. So I was reading about them. I never actually read them. And then mm-hmm. my senior year I had to, for a course I was taking, I really just needed to go straight to the source and do some analyzing. But that was the first time that I really picked up some of those old texts that really are, that you know traditionally have been held in high importance in our right. in our in our denominations so yeah most of what i read is secondary to those those big pieces of work because frankly yeah you don't need to read all of summa theologica to like to get something from it read someone else's ver- like interpretation of it yeah like I, get the get the penguin classic or something yeah like I'm big on primary sources if it's something that like you're going to really invest yourself in and want to be like a, a right. really well-studied person. And then you have to read the primary source. But right. my goodness, if you're just like a, a, a minister or even like a, a professor and you've got to like teach Aquinas, like you're, you're not prepared. You don't have enough time. You can't just go in there and read it and figure it out. Right. Like you have to, yeah, you got to stick with that. You got like that's what theological education prepares you to do is like tell you what you don't know, <laughs> and like no, that yeah, exactly. That is what it does. Stuff. It tells you the things you don't know because you don't know what you don't know. But if you know that you are, don't aren't educated on something, then you know what to look for instead of just perusing and trying to figure it out. Right. Yeah. So go find the really smart people that do spend all day reading like one person and listen right. to what you have to say about it. Right. I had, you know, one of the things when we have people going through the process in the PCUSA to become ordained, you know, one of the things that we do require in our denomination is that you need to have um, studied Koine Greek and Hebrew, which all of our Presbyterian seminaries offer and pretty much every other seminary out there would offer. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, most I would assume most of them, I would assume they would because you should. But I am always amazed at the arguments that are made to against taking these because students say, oh, it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of my time. And look, I did nothing but cry through Greek, like a full year of Greek. Like <laughs> I, I cried like the day that I took my final Greek exam and I thought I was going to fail. Luckily, my professor like quietly told me as I was leaving the exam, I was like, I bombed that. And she said, Shelly, you're going to pass. She's like, you worked your butt off. You just don't get this, but you have worked so hard. So I'm going to pass you because I was doing it all pass fail when it came to the languages. Mm, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> and, and so, and so, but I was so happy. But the first thing I did, I went out into our, into the quad, this like grassy area between McCormick and the Lutheran seminary. And I took a lighter and I lit my book on fire. <laughs> It was, it was the worst thing I've ever done. Hebrew was a little easier for me only because as somebody with an artist focused mind, I could look at the symbols mm-hmm. and they had nothing to do with, like they didn't look anything like our language. And so I had an easier time with that. It was like more of like a puzzle, Yeah. but 
I, what I tell people is that, sure, if you stuck a text in front of me in Hebrew, I could probably sound it out because I remember enough of the, the sounds and that sort of thing. I could sound it out. Could I tell you what it says? Maybe a word or two here. But for the most part, no, I can't tell you what it says. But I know how to use the tools to find out what it does say. Right. There you go. And so that's what I got from from two years of Greek and Hebrew was that I don't know it fluently. I mean, I've got some friends who are so into it, like they just picked it up and they ran with it. But I don't need to do that because I know how to use my Logos Bible program. I know how to use my lexicons on my shelf. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're so important. And so anytime we get these students who come through who are like, I would like to get a, I would like to, I would like for you to say that I don't have to do this so I can take other classes in seminary. It's like, no, like you actually should have to do, you need this skill. And the way you're going to get this skill is by going through these two hellish years (laughs) and it's going to suck and you're going to hate every moment of it. Most likely if you're a normal person, but you got to do it because at the end of the day, you get this great payoff that when you're writing a sermon, you can go to the original language and use it to make it accessible for other people and to understand the text a little bit better. Right. So, I mean, I think is, I don't know how you were as a, as a student, but like when I was in seminary, you know, we really just thought like, why do we need all these things? This is dumb. We can just do it. And then once I got out into the real world, I was like, oh, shit, I did need to do that. I am so glad my professor forced me to write that paper. Right. Because now I understand this. Yeah. I think probably you and I felt that same way about different subjects. I think that's probably the case. Because I love What were your subjects? And uh, I really looked down upon people who didn't like Greek. Um, (laughs) I I I mean, look. I powered my way through and I still know, I still remember certain words. Yeah. Ego. Um, I I remember ponair, (laughs) which is honestly, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, shoot, what does that mean? Isn't it love? (laughs) Some sort of love? (laughs) I don't think so. I I don't know. But I, all I remember is, so I remember ponair because Oh, I forget. Why were we supposed to remember that? Because when we made the alliteration, we called it pony love. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it, maybe it's, maybe Ponair is like something you're not supposed to do. That could be it. Yeah. It sounds like evil. I uh, think it's one of those things of like things that you won't do. And so we said pony love because it's like, you should not fall in love with your pony in a romantic way. And I think that's how we remember. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to look that up now because I could be totally wrong, but that's how we remembered it. But yeah, I worked my butt off in Greek. I don't feel guilty about burning that book. I'll burn it again if I ever got one. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. There's other things that I really, I hated um, that probably were better for me than I thought at the time. Uh, we had this one class that was like, oh, it was the biggest waste of time. I don't know. It, I, I don't know. Upon reflection, it probably might still be. Um, mm-hmm. But it was like, we would do these case studies and in professors we had three professors in the class and they were all practitioners and instead of them like giving their opinion they would um, they were trying I think to use a certain pedagogical method and ask us to pontificate about this but here we are a bunch of what 19 20 year olds who have never done 
ministry in any sustained sense. And they're asking us to reflect on it. And even at that time, I was like, I know I don't know what I'm talking about. I guarantee you that pothead over there doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know, like, it was just, uh, um, it was really, I don't know, um, uh, disorienting thing. So I don't know, I probably a lot of the courses on ministry um, were things that, that I didn't um, particularly uh, like or appreciate at the time, but I'm glad I did them. Yeah, we used to have to do these practicums. You had to do so many before you could graduate, like how to do a church budget, how to do a funeral and wedding and all those things and how to do baptisms and some like trying to do practical ministry things that you're going to have to do at some point if you're a pastor. And, and, but they had this one and it was on spiritual disciplines and I hated it because they wanted, they wanted us to, for like so many weeks, you had to see like a spiritual director, which I was like, that's dumb. And, Mm. and you had to like keep a prayer journal and you had to meditate and do all these things and like do all these different spiritual practices. And that is just not me. Like I have never been great with those sorts of things. Like I don't need a spiritual director. I need a therapist. Like I know that about myself. Mm -hmm. And I fought that class. I fought that practicum so hard. Like I have no idea why the professors even put up with me because I fought it so hard. I was such an ass. Yeah. <laughs> and it was all just because I was like, this is dumb. I'll never use this. Right. I don't know if I have used it or not. Maybe uh, uh, I have. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I th- that's probably what it, what it is. Like some things just stick with people and, uh, you know, under the, the broad umbrella of this will teach you what you know and what you don't know. And, you know, it's important for you to bring that into ministry. Uh, uh, but, but, um, cause I, uh, um, I, I've seen a psychiatrist, uh, but where I've got the most out is, is through, um, my spiritual director, but not all spiritual direction is the same. And I can't stand like, a certain type of spiritual direction that's really common these days. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a part of a couple of groups that do it. And it's just like, it's like a bad psychologist um, who talks about. Right. Um, I think that's what I had experienced, unfortunately. And I was like, no, thank you. Right. Yeah. And that's so common. I mean, you can pay what, like a thousand dollars and be registered as a spiritual director after like a year of training. Um, and I just think that's absolute nonsense. Oh, it is. Like, I, I think a spiritual director is someone who, like, has spent years and years and years cultivating their own spiritual life. Someone who you can, like, legitimately and meaningfully look up to. Um, you know, not just someone who's, like, learned a couple of, like, pop psychology techniques. Right. Oh, man. Well, um, one thing I do know is that we're like at 43 minutes. And so we should probably cut this short because I'm going to have to edit this. <laughs> I don't edit. And I still, I do, I, you know, I try, I don't try to edit a ton of them, but parts of them, I like cut out dead space. And I also have those other two podcasts that I never put up that I really should just put up. Right. So everyone's about to get a bombardment of podcasts. <laughs> oh, man. Down with the ship. It's a weird thing to talk about. Yeah. 
yeah, down with the yeah. What was what was it? Was it a weird thing to talk about, or was that was a weird thing to say? I don't remember. Both of those are they work. I like it. They both work, and I'm sure I'll hear it again when I go back through this. All right. All right, my friend. Well, uh, until next time, thanks for chatting on the psalm. That I don't even remember what I read. It was it was Psalm 128. You know, you, you don't have to show me up like that. It, you know, if you uh, if you do if you do the right things, the good things will come to you. Okay, you know, keep your prosperity gospel to yourself, Texas man. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> Uh, well, this is Brandon and Shelly signing off for uh, Down to the Ship. Thanks for paying attention. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We're pretty interesting. I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, see ya. See ya. Oh, what happened? That's okay. I saved it. We can edit it together. Okay. We're... I saved it because it was like disconnect now and save. And I was like, yes, please. I'll call him back. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, that material was gold. I am not losing that. It was. Yeah. Um, okay. So you talked about fa- um, the, the, not the, um, talked about the X-Men. So what's the other thing you said you were watching? Okay. So the other thing is um, Sierra and I at night are watching uh, Afterlife with um, uh, Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. Gervais How do you or like Gervais? It? I don't know. Okay, so I really love it. Um, it's it's sad as hell, um, but it's it's about this widower uh, that Ricky Gervais plays, and and it's uh, all about his grief and he's is processing through it, um, and um, his uh, issues with addiction that are coupled with that, um, and it's not one of these things where it's like okay, one episode is, is one of the stages of grief and the next episode is the other stage of grief. I think it's a very authentic portrayal having been in and among a lot of grief in ministry of mm-hmm. like, it never goes away. It never stops. Um, the pain lessens a little bit, but it's not something. And so like, you know, you're two seasons in, he's still wrestling with the loss of his wife. Um, and that's one layer of the story like that's the that's the surface but underneath it's ricky gervais's own kind of humanistic atheism um his own way of of rationalizing like why people should be nice to other people be kind you know what that means in the world how your life takes on significance um in a world without god um or religion or any of that um he there's some pretty stupid portrayals of religion but i'm okay with that um, because I, in essence, agree with all the stuff that he's saying. And I, I think it's very good for Christians to like hear that atheists aren't these like nasty people that just want to live hedonistic lives. Like it's, um, it's a very touching show. I mean, like the reality is that most Christians are the ones who are wanting to live the hedonistic lives and are succeeding at that. So right. Yeah, they're just wishing there was no God so that they could right. let out all the things that they keep suppressing. Right. Um, so it's a great show. I mean, if you're yeah, I'll have know, to check going that out. through grief or if you're like, you know, just kind of wanting to understand that better, I think it authentically portrays it. Good. Well, I'm going to add that. I'll add that onto my queue. Now I want to also go back and watch X-Men. Like maybe I can watch that while I'm sermon writing. 
yeah it it's so good it's so good um I, I really enjoy it. I'm I'm definitely planning on on uh, having my kids watch Shira. Oh my gosh, you're gonna love it. It's yeah. just, and there's a lot of things that as an adult I watch it now, which I think this is like this a lot of cartoons. Like as a kid, those things would have gone over my head, but as an adult, I'm like, oh, I see what you did there, writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of. I highly recommend Shira. Also, it's just good to like you know, for us to show our, our little boys, like girls in places of, of triumph, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. well, um, I know you have to go and I have to go finish a sermon on Sarah and Hagar and Sarah's failings and how this is not a justifiable story. All right. And uh, yeah. And, and I got to go pick up my CSA box as well. Well, I'm a white lady that gets a farm box from New York every week. <laughs> we do that. Um, we am. pick up ours. We have a, like a, a meat co-op thing. Um, I have. I hear of people that do that all the time. We have t- talked about doing that, but we haven't because we tend to go pescatarian over the summer. Good call. Good call. Yeah, but where do you get yours from? Um, I couldn't tell you. I just pick it up. Sierra's the one that like Smart. arranged it and organized it. Um, but we pick it up in New Canaan at the farmer's market there. Oh, okay. Nice. The New Canaan farmer's market does have the best meats. Yeah, it's like Oxhead Farms or something like that. Oh, I think that's where I get our meat. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. They have great London broils. I don't know what that is. I only believe in brisket. <laughs> You only believe in brisket. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, that's the Texan in you. And I recognize that because I don't want to be colorblind. <laughs> I recognize the Texan in you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel seen. Finally, a white male gets to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would have thought? Making real progress here. Uh, we're really getting somewhere. Uh, well, until next week, because we're in charge of next week's podcast, or until they kick us off. That's right. So, Thanks for tuning in to Down with the Ship. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you next week, probably on this same podcast. Probably, yeah, hundred percent, definitely. This is where we'll be, right. but maybe someday we'll pop up somewhere else. Could be. I need to start hitting people up. Yeah, we'll do it. All right, friends. Be right. well, and uh, yeah, I'll see you later, Brandon. All right, take care. Good talking to you. Bye.